here's how I'd uh, like to begin this morning. I want to have you answer a question. Uh, we're going to start off just uh, answer this question in your mind. And uh, well, here's the question. Uh, if you could be any animal for one day, just for one day, and then tomorrow you're you again. If you could be an animal for one day, what would you want to be? And why would you want to be that? And just think about that in your head. And there's no wrong answer here. Uh, really, there is not a wrong answer. And your reason could be very serious. Your reason could be very silly. could be anything in between. But if you had one day that you could be any animal that you wanted to be, and no, you weren't going to get eaten or anything like that. You're going to survive that day. What would you want to be? Okay, so hopefully you got that in your head. Share that with somebody next to you real quick. What animal and why you want to be that animal? Just take about 30 seconds and, and share that. All right, now my, my assumption in this is that, you know, some of us picked some similar animals. So, so did anyone pick any kind of bird because you wanted to be able to fly? I've, that's why I figured there'd be a few of those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did anyone pick a cheetah or some other fast animal because you want to run fast? Anybody? Yeah, a few of those. Anybody pick a sea creature of any time, of any kind, because you want to explore the ocean? Yep, a few of those. That's, that's what I wondered. Anyone, maybe this is a stretch, but did anyone pick a bear or some other hibernating animal because you want a really good nap? <laughs> yeah, there's a, okay. I thought maybe. Did anyone pick a sheep for any reason at all? I also figured that would not be a choice unless someone looked at the sermon notes and figured that's where we were going and that's what Pastor Aaron was going to ask about. I, man, I, I would not have chosen a sheep. I, I would not have chosen that either. And, and in a way, it's kind of interesting that, that we would choose to be lots of other animals except for sheep because in my own study, the animal which the Bible most often uses to refer to us is sheep. Maybe that's why we don't want to be one, because we get referred to that all the time. But now, now I, know that, I know that a sheep was the chosen animal, uh, you know, as, as God was inspiring uh, the writers of Scripture. I know, that, I know that sheep was the chosen animal, at least in part because that was a common part of daily life for, for many in ancient Israel. Sheep were to the Israelites what corn is to us in Woodford County. We get it. We see it everywhere. It makes sense to us. But I don't think the only reason that, that uh, God referred to his people as sheep was because of their familiarity with the animal. I think whether we like it or not, there are similarities between us and sheep that teach us important truths, not just about ourselves, although that is part of it, but about God himself. And, and so, in fact, one of, the, one of the metaphors used to describe 
not, not just God's people in the Old Testament, but that's one of the, the metaphors used to describe the church as well in the New Testament. And so, as we've done each week so far, really in, in order to properly understand the New Testament metaphor for the church, it helps to be familiar with how it's used in the Old Testament because it starts there. So, so with that being said, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me to perhaps the most famous Old Testament usage of this metaphor, at least the most famous one in our time today, Psalm 23. And you can follow with me. I'll, I'll go ahead and read all six verses of Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what comfort we can derive from those words. In the midst of a, a chaotic world that, that often leaves us battered and bruised, these words communicate peace and tranquility. Uh, they, they remind us that we are not walking through this world alone, but that God himself is there with us. And specifically in this psalm, we, we see that God cares for his people in the three main ways that a shepherd would care for their flock of sheep. So we see that God leads us, we see that God provides for us, often pictured through feeding. And we see that God protects us. God leads us, God provides for us, God protects us. If you want a catchy way to remember it, um, a shepherd that's doing his or her job will result in sheep that are led, fed, and protected. If the shepherd is doing their job, those will be the three outcomes. Led, fed, protected. And so we see in Psalm 23, God, as our shepherd, he leads us. Verse 2 states that we are led to green pastures. We're led to still waters. Verse 3 states that we are led in paths of righteousness. God leads us. We see also that God provides for us. Verse 1 states that, that we shall not want due to his provision. The, the green pastures we are led to, in, in verse number two, provide nourishment. Uh, even, even in the midst of our enemies, verse five speaks of a banquet table prepared and a cup that overflows. God provides for us. And then God as our shepherd protects us as well. Even though we're in the valley of the shadow of death, we're protected. We have nothing to fear. God's rod, his staff, protect us. Our enemies will not overcome us. We, we see our shepherd protects us. So there's reason this is probably the most beloved psalm in our world today. And it just so poetically and eloquently 
and truthfully speaks of God caring for us as a shepherd cares for the sheep. But what we also see in the Old Testament is that along with God being our shepherd, we see that that it's revealed to us that those in leadership positions in Israel were also called to serve under God as shepherds of the people. So, for example, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2, when David was made king over Israel, God was quoted as saying that David would shepherd my people, Israel. You get that metaphor there, David as the leader shepherding. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 7, God referred to previous rulers of his people as shepherds. So God himself was the ultimate shepherd, but he appointed others to serve as his under-shepherds among the people. They were to lead the people as God would. They were to provide for the people as God would. They were to protect the people as God would. Problem was, those under-shepherds failed miserably at their calling. And the situation was so bad that we read this. And if you want to follow, it's from Ezekiel chapter 34. It got so bad, this is, what, uh, was, this is what God said. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. What a summary. God's not holding back there, is he? In short, at the hands of the rulers of Israel, the people were not led and they were not fed and they were not protected. Even though Shepherds of Israel were supposed to be carrying that out. They, they were not. It was abundantly clear that those rulers utilized their position for their own gain and their own power, their own benefit. And rather than serve as under-shepherds of God, they served their own selfish desires. But God wasn't going to just stand by and, and just allow this mistreatment to go unaddressed. And, and so he went on in that chapter to say things like, I am against the shepherds. He said, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered. He said, I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. I will bind up the injured. He said, I will rescue my flock. And, and he made the ultimate statement when he said this in verses 23 and 24, he said, And I will set up over them one shepherd, 
my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I've spoken. Now, when God spoke those words and he was talking about King David over them, he wasn't talking literally about King David. King David lived and died some 400 years before God spoke these words. Instead, we know from other prophecies in the Old Testament, we, we know from our recent study of Luke's gospel, there would be one who would come in the line of King David who would once again rule as king over the people, who would be this shepherd that God said would come. And of course, that's Jesus. That's the Son of God. And so turn with me to John chapter 10 where Jesus spoke to the Jews and utilized this very shepherd-sheep theme. So in John chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So e even though Jesus used a common metaphor regarding sheep and a shepherd, the people, they couldn't grasp what he was saying. They, it's clear they did not view him as the divine son of God. And, and because they weren't sure about his identity, they weren't sure if he was the shepherd or the thief, the robber. I mean, Jesus is speaking about both, but at that point, the crowd would say, well, we don't know which one you are. And so because of that lack of understanding, Jesus spoke again using the same metaphor, but, but this time he removes all doubt regarding his identity. So look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So in this passage, Jesus says he's both the door and the shepherd. He, he refers to himself as both. And so as the door, it's only through him that a, that a person becomes part of the flock of sheep. Uh, previously, God's people, Jews, uh, they were Jews because of their lineage. Uh, a person was physically born into the people of God. But now, under the new covenant that Jesus is instituting, a person became part of the people of God, became part of the flock by entering through the door. And Jesus says, I am that door. As John quotes him a few chapters after this, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Same kind of reference. Jesus is the entrance into the flock. And then in addition to that, once the sheep are brought into the flock, Jesus is the good shepherd who does what shepherds do. He leads, he feeds, he protects his flock. And, and he even summarized uh, that short statement by saying that through him, the sheep have life abundantly. When the sheep are led, fed, and protected, they have abundant life. So Jesus is that king in the line of David who was prophesied in Ezekiel 34. He is that king who doesn't shepherd like all those failed leaders in Ezekiel chapter 34. Instead, Jesus shepherds like the God of Israel in Psalm 23. Jesus is the good shepherd. He leads us with his voice, as we see here. He provides us with pasture, and, and the Greek word there signifies food or fodder. So we might think back to Jesus' words in Matthew 6, that he provides our daily bread. Jesus provides, us, provides for us. He feeds us. And Jesus also protects us by laying down his life for us. He truly is the good shepherd, not just in name, but in action. And what he talks about that he will do and what we see in the gospels he did do is be the good shepherd. And what, what a wonderful blessing for us that is, for us the sheep, that Jesus is the good shepherd. When Jesus said that we can come to him and he will give us rest. He meant it. He meant it. I mean, how much of the stress and anxiety in our lives comes from our attempts to lead ourselves and provide for ourselves and protect ourselves? And you know, if we were like sheep without a shepherd, if we, were, if we were sheep who did need to worry about how to lead ourselves and provide for ourselves and protect ourselves, then we should be anxious and fearful. We, we should be in that instance. Because just like real sheep are not equipped for that, we are not equipped to do that for ourselves either. But we're not sheep without a shepherd. That's the difference, isn't it? We are sheep with a good shepherd. And that, that's why the opening line of Psalm 23 is a comfort when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, because it speaks to that truth. It reminds us we're not sheep without a shepherd. We're sheep with a shepherd. We're not sheep who are lost, lacking, or vulnerable. We're, we are sheep who are led, fed, 
and protected by our good shepherd. There's great hope and great comfort and great peace in that truth. In a major way that Jesus does those things, the major way, a major way that he carries out that role of being a good shepherd is through the local church. This ties into what we're talking about in this series. And I'll show you what I mean. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter, Peter wrote uh, this, this letter to the believers in the churches scattered across Asia Minor. And, and in his letter, he describes how Jesus shepherds the sheep in part through the, the pastors and elders of the church. So look with me at uh, 1 Peter 5, verse 1. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, maybe you heard me read those words and your thoughts immediately go back to Ezekiel 34. Because we've seen this movie before, right? The last time God appointed under-shepherds, the flock ended up hungry and mistreated and scattered. That setup failed miserably. I mean, we saw it, right, in Ezekiel 34. So why go through it all again? I mean, doesn't the danger remain that the flock will end up hungry, mistreated, and scattered once again if the under-shepherds do not do their job? I'd say, yes, the danger remains. The danger remains, and, and we can find examples of it in today's world. We sure can. I, I've, I've, had, I've had more conversations than I can count with, with other pastors recently about a, a podcast from Christianity Today that's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And Mars Hill was a church in the Seattle area Founded by, uh, founded in the late 1990s uh, by Mark Driscoll, and it grew to be a megachurch, had thousands of people, multiple campuses, um, even in other states, not just within Seattle. But because of bad decisions made by the pastors and elders of that church, it all came crashing down seven or eight years ago. And the church no longer exists. It went from existing to just gone overnight. And in the aftermath of the fall, thousands of sheep were left hungry and mistreated and scattered. And no doubt, some have walked away from the church never to return. Why risk that? I mean, why would 
the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. Why risk that? Wouldn't it be better if Jesus was the lone shepherd who cared for his sheep and just took us fallen humans out of the equation? Why appoint fallen people like me to carry out this role of being an under-shepherd? And the simple answer is, I don't know fully. I, I don't fully know why Jesus would do that. I don't fully know why God ever partners with humans for anything, because we always mess it up, right? Right? I mean, we've been messing it up since the Garden of Eden. You can go all the way back there. But one of the messages of the gospel is that God became human, not so he could condemn us, not so he could remove us from the roles that he's given to us, but instead so that he could redeem us and transform us so that he might give those roles back to us and empower us to carry them out. That's the message of the gospel. That's what you see all throughout scripture as well. That's the grand story arc of this whole sheep-shepherd thing in the Bible, right? God did it perfectly, Psalm 23. God calls us to join him, and we mess it up, Ezekiel 34. God becomes human and does what we never could in our fallenness, John 10. And then God reaffirms that call to join him, not as fallen humans, but as redeemed humans as new creations living in, in his power, which I think we see here in, uh, in 1 Peter 5. That's God's MO all throughout the Bible. He does it, we mess it up, he fixes it and gives it back to us, and he empowers us to, to do it again, to do it as, as he intends for us to do it. That's his MO. And because he works that way in this area too, talking about sheep and shepherds, talking about his church, he calls for there to be elders of the church to serve as his under-shepherds, to lead, provide for, and protect the flock. And the commands that Peter gives to the elders of these churches in Asia Minor, I think he gives these commands, they're, they're meant to help them lean into the role that God had given them and not fall back into the ways of Ezekiel 34, because it has been messed up before. But in Christ, Peter says, here's, here's what it looks like to really serve as under-shepherds of the chief shepherd. So, so because the elders were to lead the flock as under-shepherds, Peter calls them not to be domineering, but to set an example. In other words, you don't drive the flock, you call them to follow. That's what Jesus said in, uh, in John 10. I, I call out to them with my voice and they follow me. You don't drive sheep, you lead them. God, God I mean, you think about how God uh, interacts with us as individuals. He doesn't drive us to himself. He calls us to himself. And so similarly, the elders serving as under shepherds are to lead and call the church to Jesus and to follow Jesus and that's why when you, lead, when you read the list of elder qualifications here um, in 1 Timothy 3, in Titus 1, the qualifications are all about the example that is set. It's, it's not about business experience. It's not about a certain kind of personality. It's not about oratory skills. Elders are called to lead through setting an example by following Jesus themselves. 
That's, that's what is called for. And so, so consequently, one of the ways that you can pray for us, pray for the elders of this local church, is that we would be doing that, that we would be following, faithfully following, our chief shepherd, so that we can set that example that is worth following. You can pray that we would recognize temptations in our lives to veer away from the chief shepherd and that we would resist it through the strength that God provides. So I would humbly ask that you'd pray for your elders in that way as we seek to lead through our example. Um, The elders of the church are to lead. uh, The elders as under shepherds are called to provide for or, or feed the flock as well. And so Peter calls them to serve eagerly, not not for shameful gain. Uh, the focus should not be upon their own gain or their own benefit, but, but upon that of the flock, providing for the sheep. Uh, as Paul writes to Titus, they must be able to feed the flock the word of God. And they do that by holding fast to it, by giving instruction in it, by rebuking those who contradict it, Um, It doesn't require that every elder be skilled in public teaching. That is one way to provide the Word of God, to to feed with the Word of God. But uh, but it doesn't have to be in that public setting. Uh, The the requirement is simply to be able to teach the Word of God in a setting, in settings that are beneficial to the flock, in settings that feed the flock, whether it is in a public manner or whether it's one-on-one whether it's in a community group setting, whether it's in something like that. And again, you can pray for us. I ask that you would pray for us as elders in this, that we'd be growing in our understanding and our acceptance and implementation of the Word of God, and that we would, you know, we're not really able to teach it until we've submitted ourselves to it. So you can pray for us in that, for growth for each one of us, continued growth in that area. And then thirdly, because elders are under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, they're called to protect the flock. Uh, Peter says, exercise oversight. Uh, The the Greek word there is episkopeo, which means look diligently. It means to beware. Um, uh, Just a few verses after this, I've never made this connection before, but just a few verses after this, Peter calls for being sober-minded and watchful, because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What a powerful picture that is when he's talking about us as sheep, and then here the devil is pictured as a roaring lion. What's a natural enemy of a sheep? A lion is one of them, isn't it? And here Peter says, you need to beware. that's, That's one of the things to look diligently about, to beware of. I mean, it's quite fitting that that uh, Peter frames it in that way. And so elders are called to be watching out for the things that would, that would harm the flock. And sometimes those things come from outside the flock. Uh, it could be false teaching uh, in the form of a book or, or a philosophy or a smooth talker of some kind. Um, it, could be, it could be a system or an organization that's, that's set on, on harming the church, on persecuting the church. Uh, it could be it could be simple distractions that that consume us and take our eyes off of Jesus, our chief shepherd. Elders are, are called to protect the flock from those outward threats, 
But sometimes the threats come from inside the flock as well. Uh, it could be division or, or disunity that threatens to tear the flock apart. Uh, it could be ambition or pride that, that can creep up within us that, that leads to selfishness. Uh, could be complacency that, that we can fall into that just kind of fails to heed our calling as the flock of Christ. The, the elders are called to protect ourselves from ourselves at times, from the sin that we still struggle with. So whatever the threat might be, the elder's role as under-shepherd is, is to protect the flock. And, and once again, you, you can pray for us as your EBC elders in this. Uh, I'd encourage you to pray that we'd be discerning, that we'd be wise as we, as we uh, look diligently upon the flock. Um, you can pray that we'd be bold in addressing dangers. You can pray that uh, we won't rely on our own strength and our own wisdom to do that, but, uh, but upon that of the chief shepherd. Um, elders, under-shepherds are not perfect. <laughs> I will freely admit that. And I'm sure that's nothing new. We're not perfect, but God has called elders to serve within his flock. And if we're, if we're doing so correctly, we'll be mirroring and bringing honor to the chief shepherd of us all. And that's what it's about. And, and, and as he speaks to elders, in verses 1 through 4, he's talking specifically to elders. And then in verse 5, Peter Peter speaks to the rest of the church. Uh, he says, likewise, you who are younger. And, and when he says you who are younger, he's using that term in direct comparison to elder. So really, it's you who are not elders, everyone else in the church. What he says is be subject to, accept the authority of the under shepherds that God has placed there. Um, and, and, you know, uh, even in reality, one elder is not above the other elders. So all in the church ought to be, ought to, in humility, be subject to the elders. It, it applies to the elders as well. And then he goes on to say, all are, all uh, are to be clothed in humility toward one another. And so, I said you're going to hear church membership come up. Uh, throughout this series. If I can speak about it again, uh, church membership is a, in, in a way, is a formal declaration of a person's intention to continually exercise that humility in being led, fed, and protected by the under-shepherds that the chief shepherd has placed there. It's to stand up in front of the church and ask to be held accountable in that way. Um, it, it's to commit ourselves to this local church in such a way that, that, that we encourage one another to, to follow the leading of the under-shepherds as they follow the leading of the chief shepherd. And you don't have to be a church member to do that, right? You don't have to be a church member. But, but if your attitude and intention is to be subject to the under-shepherds of the church, then why not take that step toward church membership? Why not state that publicly and, and seek that accountability from one another and, and provide encouragement for the rest of the church to do that as well? You know, as, as I was going through this, uh, I wanted to share with you that when I first stepped into the role of uh, senior pastor 
here at EBC, there was a part of me that wondered how I would be received. And, and I'd already been here for five years, and so I wasn't, I wasn't worried about it. I mean, I, I knew what good people we have in our church, and I'm not just sucking up. Like, I really do believe that. So, so I wasn't worried about it, but I, w- I was curious. How would people respond having a pastor that might be younger than their own children? For some of you, having a pastor that might be younger than your grandchildren. Like, I, I, I just, I was curious, you know, I wonder, I wonder how that will work. And, you know, I've got to say that even though your, your pastor elder might sometimes seem like a pastor younger, the respect that you have shown me, uh, just as you would show the rest of the elders of our church body, uh, it's been such a blessing. It really has. It, it, is, it has brought joy to me. I've seen First Peter 5 lived out among our church, and, and I'm so thankful for it. I, 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 would, I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to publicly commend you in that and say thank you, because I, I, I've talked with other pastors and seen situations at other churches, and I know that's not a given. And so I am so thankful for that. I just wanted to make sure to say it. Thinking of ourselves as sheep or as God's flock uh, may not be the most flattering picture we could come up with. None of us picked that we wanted to be sheep earlier, right? It might even make us a little uneasy when we think about the vulnerability and the helplessness of sheep. But that picture is an accurate picture, and, and it's one that hopefully drives us to trust ever more deeply in our good shepherd, in, in our chief shepherd. In him, we will never cease to be led, fed, and protected. So no matter how vulnerable we may feel as an individual, there's rest and there's peace, there's direction, there's provision, there's protection from our good shepherd within his flock. And so we can, we can rest in that. We can trust him in that. And I hope, I hope as we go through life from one day to another, one season to another, we find that to be true again and again and again. I know that that will be true. I hope that we recognize that as we go through those seasons of life. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's close in prayer, and then we will be blessed to, to proclaim in song about how God leads us as our shepherd. Father, we come to you. We thank you that uh, you are our shepherd, our good shepherd, our chief shepherd. Thank you that you provide what we need. God, my my prayer for myself, for all of us here, is that that we would rest in that. that We would trust in your provision, in your protection. Even when we don't always know know fully your purposes, where you're leading, how you're guiding, would you help us to trust you regardless, to hear you calling our voice and to follow you wherever it is you may go. God, I thank you that ultimately where you lead us is the new earth with you. We're so hopeful for that time. We so look forward to that time. 
We thank you that we have a shepherd who's leading us there. God, as we conclude by singing more songs of praises to you, may these words both be the declaration of our heart and may they be a challenge to us as well to rely upon you as our good shepherd more and more every day. We pray these things in your name. Amen.